Hello and welcome to Design Untangled with me, Chris Mears, and for once actually with me is Carla Lindarte. Hello, Chris. Um, haven't been doing this for a while. Yeah, you've been out chatting to some very interesting people. Yeah. Uh, Kieran and Emma, so had quite a lot of feedback around those, which is very good, very positive, lots of listens. So hopefully they were useful and made it worth the price of us not chatting to each other for once. <laughs> I don't think yeah. people really cared, to be honest. Yeah, they just care about the content. And I think, um, yeah, we need to do more of those interviews. It's really good to kind of mix it up, have interviews as well as us talking. I think that's, um, you know, people really like that. Yeah, we'll definitely try and do some more of those in the future. So what are we going to talk about on episode number 13? Well, we took a, we're going to talk about something that I think most of us have been even involved in, even as a participant or run in the past. I mean, if you're a designer, I'm pretty sure you've run or participated in a design workshop. Um, they are called, they, some people call them design studios, um, other people call them design thinking workshops. Um, but the idea of this are basically just to come up with ideas to solve a problem a particular problem whether it's a solution like a digital solution or a service solution it doesn't really matter it's just going through uh using certain design process to come up with um you know creative ideas to solve problems they also have also run them as well as a training exercise for clients mm -hmm. i don't know if you've done that in the past but you know clients come in into the agency or you go to their offices and you run them to show them a new way of solving or problem solving which is um, design thinking yeah i've never called that a design workshop though more just a, a training thing really but yeah it's just another of those terms that can be used for about four thousand different things which of course, makes good fodder for this podcast. Um, so what sort of people would you typically have in one of your design workshops? Well, um, as I said before, it all depends on the on the purpose of the workshop. So if it's a, as you said, if it's just a design, um, a design workshop or design studio, um, you can run it with uh, people in the team, uh, you know, designers as well as, for example, product owners and technology people, if you have access to them, um, strategies, as many people as possible, and, you know, with different uh, backgrounds, um, that's better. Um, when I've run them in the past for clients, it, it's the same, like um, if, we're, if we're solving a problem that impacts uh, the customer, we will have people from different parts of the organization to have different points of view as well of, you know, what potential solutions could be for that particular um, customer type. So mm -hmm. yeah, it all depends. But I think that the most successful ones are the ones that have more variety of backgrounds and more diverse set of stakeholders um, rather than just designers or, you know, just um, a particular part of the of the business. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And also I think where they come in the, the project or sprint life cycle is typically towards the beginning. So if you're kicking off a project for the first time, a design workshop is very common and good way to do that because you can bring people who may not be directly involved in the project day to day, but they're making key decisions or signing off the budgets or whatever. And it's a way of getting them to buy into the user-centered design process as well through them actually participating. 
Yeah, exactly. It's really good to get everyone together. Um, yeah, as you said, typically at the beginning, although when you have, um, you know, maybe a controversial, um, you know, topic or theme uh, coming up in the in the project, uh, it's also a very good time to run a workshop to kind of align everyone into why, you know, why we want to do it this way or that way and create solutions together. I also think that when um, teams are actually losing interest or um, feeling disengaged with the product as well or the product features, it's also very good to run workshops. So, you know, it's, it's a way of getting everyone together and co-creating as, um, you know, as a way of, of solving the problem together. It's not, they're not strictly design workshops, but it's very often you'll find as the UX designer, you're kind of facilitating these other conversations. So I've, I haven't called it a design workshop, but it's basically just been a workshop with the the product owners, the product team to understand their user needs and prioritize the backlog. So the output is not always design, but it's moving the project forward towards an ultimate solution. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, and you mentioned it there, um, and it's really, really important that if we are talking about design thinking workshops or user-centered design workshops, um, we need to make sure that we bring in uh, as an input into the workshop as much um, user research uh, insights, user research or insights that you've done um, to kind of inform the team about, you know, what are the needs of that particular user. Mm-hmm. especially we're talking about customers um sometimes we make a lot of assumptions and you know as design teams we get together and we brainstorm but the more insight you actually have from that particular end user that you're designing for the more successful and the more the less biased the solution is going to be so um i've run workshops in the past where if i've done some kind of um primitive research for example i bring it in and i just kind of start the session with that so you know you know the, you know these are our top five learnings from that you know uh, primary yeah. research or if you do some uh, market research or competitor analysis or all that sort of stuff i normally would start a workshop with that so then people get a, an overall understanding of the end user and the market and everything else that is going to help with the ideation yeah and that's especially important at the the very beginning of the project where obviously you haven't started it yet so you've not necessarily been out in the fields to speak to users but you can come with through doing some of that desk research and other sources the business may have already you can come to that workshop armed with at least some strong hypotheses about different user behavior and needs yeah definitely i've actually used in the past even youtube videos and stuff like that if you talk about customers i know sometimes you find really random videos but sometimes you find very interesting um um, you know, videos on YouTube and even in social media as well. People, what people are actually saying about the product, what are the most typical pain points. So even if you don't have access to that kind of um, qualitative insight from the beginning, um, you could find other ways to find that information. Um, and the more you bring into the workshop, um, the the better in my in my experience. Yeah, so I think it's worth digging into the details a bit more about what you'd actually be doing in those workshops so some of the stuff I've done there has been user journey mapping so you split people into groups or not depending how big the group is and basically get them to kind of draw out what 
a user's journey would be through the product and that can be the existing product or it can be sort of a future end state happy path version and again that's using all the inputs that you bring to that workshop in terms of user needs and research and stuff like that and I should say actually before you do that sometimes it's worth doing kind of pen portraits or proto personas or go back to our personas episode to hear all the different terms for those but at least an outline of who you think those customers or users are going to be and then the participants in the workshop can kind of put themselves in their shoes when they're mapping out those journeys. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what I was going to say. It's really important to start from the user type. So, um, and try to divide the groups in, you know, like just give a user type per group or something like that. And they can actually um, start like uh, flashing out, um, detailing a bit more what these um, personas or you know, user types are, what the pain points are, where the success factors are. And, and just like painting a picture of that is going to um, help them and, you know, be more empathetic to the actual um, user type. And then, as you said, um, continue with the user journeys, which is, um, is, is the kind of the next step, as you said. Yeah, and then you can use those journeys as a basis for further discussions about what potential features might be or another good activity is kind of sketching out someone's ideal homepage I found just to surface what people see the value is in the product they're offering to those users, what the users would want to see on that homepage. Um, and then that can kick off discussions around, you know, okay, so how might we go about building this? Is there anything else similar out there at the moment? And they're all just tools for kicking off discussions between different people in the business, really, getting those conversations happening, identifying gaps. And one of the key outputs from the workshop is assigning those gaps in knowledge to people that can start to fill them in, because the less uncertainty you've got in your project, the better, really. Yeah, definitely. I mean, another thing that I've used in the past is this um, um, framework. When you actually put it together, the user journey, you can actually start asking people to think about how this uh, particular persona or user type is actually thinking, what are they actually saying and what are they actually feeling. You know, the thinking, um, saying and feeling framework is actually really good because it makes you go through all the different types of um, aspects that you need to think about when that persona or user type is going through that journey and then once you start identifying uh, the best ideation in my opinion obviously um, depending on the problem that you're trying to solve um, it happens when you kind of narrow it down a little bit to one particular point point or maybe a couple um, when you're trying to be too broad then um, people are gonna try and uh, are gonna get a bit um, confused and then they're gonna start like saying things that might not be relevant to the particular problem that you're solving so after they've done the user journey um, uh, what I would recommend is that you get them to prioritize or at least to work as a team, either, uh, either um, you know, using voting or just having conversations about, okay, we're going to focus on this particular part of the journey or mm. maybe these two steps are for the ideation. Um, so then that kind of helps uh, teams to narrow it down and be more specific about the solution that they're going to then prototype. Um, 
And then also, I think also it's very good to do what, you know, ideas says about um, getting, generating a lot of ideas. So the more ideas you can generate as possible. So you pick your problem area, then you get the team to generate as many ideas as possible. Um, and, you know, this um, thing that ideas says about yes and. So just asking people to build on top of other people's ideas. So yeah. um, rather than say, no, you know, this is my idea. So you kind of have to set the ground rules for for the ideation and then as a team again prioritizing and voting which one which idea is best um, and then going into prototyping so um, yeah it, it is it is a little bit like I don't want to to say that we need to restrict people but when you when you want this um, workshops to be successful you have to create rules around how you want people to actually do things because uh, otherwise they can go too broad or too crazy um, or maybe they don't they don't really experiment and explore more ideas and they go very focused on one particular solution so I think you, you have to manage that as a facilitator yeah and one of the key ways you can do that is just to put really harsh time limits on how long they're allowed to do stuff so crazy eights is a very common sort of template for sketching ideas so it's basically just eight boxes on a piece of paper or whatever and you want people to smash out eight different ideas for the particular question you're looking at they're normally limited to you know you give people 30 seconds per box or less if you're in a bad mood um, and that does two things it helps the workshop run more quickly obviously but it also stops people getting so attached to one particular idea that they can't move on and it also helps when the group's playing it back and questioning it, it means they're not too kind of protective of what they've done because, you know, they only spent 30 seconds on it, so who cares? And it just helps enable that constructive feedback in the group. Yeah, definitely. I also think that, um, as you said, having templates is such a good thing. Like when you have a template of a user journey, for example, and even if it's just a piece of paper or a slide on the screen, which you've kind of um, clarified what the framework you want people to do and what steps they we want you to follow. And if you have just a, like an A3, a piece of paper or a template with, um, you know, this is how we want you to generate ideas. Um, it just helps people to understand what they need to do. Sometimes, but because we are designers and when we run, um, you know, workshops with designers, um, the ideation and the creation of ideas and prototyping kind of comes more natural. But then when you have stakeholders that not necessarily, you know, or they don't consider themselves creative, the more tools you give them to, um, to understand what you want them to do, the better. So templates definitely also having all sorts of material on the table like materials like you know post-its different type you know sizes um different types of sharpies um you know play-doh sometimes i've had or lego or whatever so just give people i even sometimes i've used cards that kind of represent features or um you know products or you know something like that so helping people to um do things um and not necessarily restrict themselves by saying oh I'm not a creative I can't prototype I can't draw so you know the more tools you give them the better yeah lego is a really good one actually so there's a whole school of using lego for kind of solving problems and helping teams very often used in a in agile settings these days it's something a bit different a bit fun but I remember one thing we were doing a while ago on a project I did we 
we're doing a retrospective and the agile coach who you may remember from previous episode called Clive um he got us to it was the end of the project and he wanted us to sort of represent how we thought the project had gone like overall so he asked us to create something out of lego that we felt represented how we felt the project had gone so everyone created very diverse things some were like cars one was like a sort of a hill thing because we'd climbed up this obstacle or whatever and it may sound a bit cheesy but again it's just a way of getting people who may not otherwise actually say things to talk about stuff Um, and it can uncover quite a lot of interesting nuggets if you just keep asking you know so why why do you use that particular color lego or whatever and it can actually be quite a an interesting way of digging into stuff yeah definitely i mean um, that makes me also um um highlight the importance of icebreakers i know we sometimes we find them a bit like cringy or you know oh you know can't be bothered to do icebreakers but um you know when you find a very good icebreaker for an ideation session it's actually very very useful because get people start thinking about um you know oh i need to actually be a bit more creative or need to think about how i can collaborate with my team so one good one I've used recently was um, you kind of put in two different bags. In one bag, you put um, different brands and in the other bag, you put products or things, you know. So the idea is that people pick one, um, one um, you know, item from, you know, one card from each bag. So you could end up with um, something like, okay, Coca-Cola as a brand and um, the thing would be a car. So then you have to come up with an idea of how Coca-Cola will design or build a car you know and and it gives you like a flavor of okay so how how much you know people start being a bit more creative um and it's a bit funny as well because sometimes the combination are very random so um you know something like that and there's lots of lots of um things on the internet uh, you know where you can find icebreakers but they're actually quite important and depending on the length of the session so sometimes if you just have it for three hours you just do it once but then if you have a one-day workshop which sometimes um i've done that in the past so you could actually do one in the morning and do one, another one after lunch so when people come back from lunch so then it just gets um you know the energy flowing throughout the day yeah, the energy definitely takes a nosedive after lunch, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't recommend to do, a, you know, very, very long sessions, but sometimes you can't, you you just have to do it, you know. On the Slack channel, which I'll plug in a little bit, we had quite a lot of questions around the actual facilitation of a workshop and dealing with different kinds of stakeholders, people management, that sort of stuff. And I'd say... That whole thing will give you some tips now, obviously, but workshops are one thing that you just have to practice doing, basically. There's no kind of course that's going to teach you, at least very well, in my opinion, how to do this effectively. You're going to get burned a few times. You're going to have to deal with awkward people. It's not something you can sort of watch a few YouTube videos and pick up or do a an online UX course and then come out of it knowing how to facilitate a UX workshop. It's definitely trial and error. Yeah, definitely. And also, it also feels um one advice i give to people who haven't done much of many of this is that 
you have to just go with the flow and be flexible as well. Like, yes, yeah. you have a plan and yes, you want people to do certain things, but each team and each group would react so differently to what you were expecting. Then even though you give them templates, and as I said, it's really good to make sure everyone does, you know, the activities in the same way. Sometimes you just have to go with the flow. You have to cut parts of what you were thinking you were going to do because people are taking longer. So um, advice is just go with it. Um, try to be as charismatic as possible. Um, try to be as nice as possible. And, you know, and just go with what pe you feel, you know, the feeling of the group rather than trying to, you know, uh, re like inform force um force your, yourself into people and trying to make them things uh, do things that um, they don't want to do yeah the one thing i would say you do have to watch out for though which is quite common is there'll normally be one or maybe even two people that will you'll be able to spot them pretty rapidly but basically yeah. they'll try and take over the workshop and be like yeah. oh i think we should do it this way or wouldn't this way be better they can be tricky to deal with you've kind of just got to show you're listening taking their ideas on board um it's useful to have a parking lot on a whiteboard or a flip chart or something yeah. where you can just write down stuff that sort of crops up and say you know thanks for your input um we've got a bit of time set aside at the end of the workshop and we'll you know just write it down so they show you've listened and revisit at the end once you've got through the core stuff that you want to get through Yeah, that's the most important thing is a parking lot. Um, it's just so useful when you have these annoying stakeholders who just ask many questions or stop, you know, interrupt and try to reinforce their ideas to other people. You just need to, like parking lot is really, really useful. Yeah, because group think is another thing you've got to watch out for, which is normally the group will just sort of start agreeing with whoever's speaking the loudest. So you have to make sure that you're bringing other people into the conversation as well. Again, it takes a bit of practice to sort of spot the shy ones or the ones that are holding back a little bit and just ask them directly, Jeff, what's your, do you think about this? What's your view? And just call them out a little bit. And once you've done it once or twice, they'll get the idea and they'll start just chipping in so that you don't pick on them anymore. Yeah, I also think, you know, it's depending on the size of the group that you have, but when the group is really big, let, let's say you have around, uh, I wouldn't have more than six people in a team. Uh, and then you have, you know, about four or five teams of six people, for example, which have run workshops like that in the past. It's actually really useful to have a table facilitator um, because as a main facilitator of the session, you'll be busy like, um, you know, checking out the time, making sure everyone is doing what they, they need to do, etc. But then you won't have the time to actually spend time with each team and make sure that you know everyone is contributing and everyone is talking so having a table facilitator if you if you have access to a group of people that you can maybe meet up before the session explain what you want them to do I mean ideally that they, they would have a little bit of experience running these sessions in the past is really really helpful because then they could actually make uh, you know play that role within the table um, rather than you as a main facilitator doing everything Yeah, that's a very good tip. Um, it's definitely good to have some helpers on hand if you can, uh, not least because it's a bit of a friendly face in the room if you're crapping your pants a bit. Um, but yeah, they can help do some of the sort of admin and floating around and making sure everyone's kind of getting their input in the workshop as well. 
so I'm gonna have a look through our questions. What else we got? Uh, so there was one around. I think we sort of covered it really. So how do you deal with stakeholders throwing out crazy ideas that don't make sense? Um, parking lot, I would say. Uh, sometimes I I would also say ideas can sound crazy, but if you dig into the why behind them a little bit more, there can occasionally be some useful stuff there. Um, but yeah, put it in the parking lot generally, address it at the end of the session. I also think then in um in a team, for example, I mean I've I've also used this um in the past because it all depends on how how much the ideas we want out of the workshop to be actual an actual input into a project or a solution. I mean, sometimes we do this just to kind of bring everyone together or to train people or to show them a different way of thinking. But sometimes we do this to actually make decisions. So there is a nice framework um, that you can use um, for prioritization of ideas. That is, uh, you combine what feasibility, desirability and viability of the idea um, so you kind of give people different, um, you know, color dots or something and you say, okay, what do you think is the idea that is the, the most feasible one? So is it doable with the technology these days? Is it doable within the time frame we have? Um, then we say, how desirable do you think this is? So is the customer going to like this or is this really crazy or is what, where is the insight that is informing this idea? And the other one, which is really important is the viability. So how likely is your company to actually do this? Because even though um, it's feasible and you have the technology, um, maybe that has a massive impact into the marketing team and they can't really do that or, you know, whatever the, um, you know, the viability of the idea is. And and, and then the, 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 the idea that has the majority of the votes, the votes around these three areas are the ideas you take, you take forward. So it's a, it's a nice way to get people thinking about, okay, an idea could be great, but how doable it is and, you know, how much people actually like it. Yeah, another important thing I think that has to happen in a good workshop is for everyone to leave there knowing what's going to happen next and sort of what the point of them being sat in the room for six hours was so I know kind of one of the goals can sometimes you just want people in that room to talk to each other but even in those kind of workshops I think there is useful further action that you can take and it's important to just let everyone know about that because otherwise everyone will just go out going oh that was a waste of time then can't believe I wasted a whole day there so it's just important to keep everyone on board with the design process, make them understand why you did it. If it was, you know, as a project kickoff, essentially, then, you know, set that out at the start, make sure everyone's clear on that. Um, and if it is to solve a design problem, then let them know how those ideas are going to be used after you leave that room. How are they going to be taken forward? What more work needs to be done to kind of get answers to the questions you've got? Um, and all of that stuff's a nice way to wrap up the end of the workshop. Yeah, definitely. It's really, really important people understand what's next and, you know, how they can keep getting involved. Um, in the past, for example, we've used tools like um, Real Time Board 
because once you can finish the workshop, you can then capture all the insights and the ideas in a, in a tool. It's like a digital um, whiteboard. And then you can get people yep. to keep working on them remotely as well, which is great because then it kind of like keep the, the team, the momentum going around the ideas or the idea that was selected or whatever. So, um, you know, you just need to make sure that you have a clear plan of what you want to get out of the workshop and how you get, you know, people a clear view of what, what people are going to be doing with that next yeah and depending how rich the company you work for is i've been <laughs> in workshops where they've employed kind of a sort of sketch artist type person oh, yeah. to That's document really cool. the workshop in essentially sort of a cartoony style on a massive white kind of whiteboard as it goes along and just capture the ideas and that particularly for senior stakeholders i find found can be a nice kind of visual representation of what you've accomplished on that day so we had one about encouraging non-designy people to join. Um, yeah. So I guess that means people outside maybe of the, the core project team. Um, a good sneaky way of doing that is just to tag it on the end of some other kind of project type meeting. So a sprint planning session, because then you can just guilt trip people into coming because they're already sat there. Uh, so that's quite a nice little technique I use <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, I think also making sure that you say this is not, you don't have to be creative to come here. You don't have to, you know, just come and we just need your input and your thoughts. Because um, some people think, oh, I'm not creative, I can't draw, as I said before. And then they, they, that really puts them off because they think they need to be, you know, super creative when they go to these workshops. Yeah. All right. I haven't got anything else. So I'm going to go ahead and do some plugs. So I've got a biggish plug to start off with, which is that we've relaunched our mentorship program. So what was previously called the UX mentorship program by UXR, which is not particularly catchy, uh, can now be found at uxmentor.me. Um, it's a Slack group where myself, Carla, and a bunch of other UX and research mentors are trying to just give advice and answer questions from people who are learning UX. Uh, we've actually got quite a few sort of more senior people in there as well who are chipping in, which is great. Uh, it's up to, I think we've got about 520 people or so That's in great. there now. Um, yeah, from all over the world. Uh, so if you are looking to get some support or just meet other people that are taking UX courses, certainly got plenty of those in there and um, get advice on job interviews stuff like that you can sign up at uxmentor.me um, and then we've got the more traditional design untangled plugs so follow us on twitter at design untangled website designuntangled.co.uk individually i'm chris underscore mears underscore ux on twitter and carla is at carla lindate we're on facebook probably design untangled i would guess yeah yeah. Um, anything else? No. Um, I just apologize for my horrible voice. Um, I, I have a terrible cold, <laughs> so I'm sorry about that. Um, yeah. No, that's it. I mean, any any feedback or any further questions about workshops, please um send us through your your questions. I mean, I have personally have a lot of experience running workshops, so any tips I can share with you, like checklists that you have to think about, all that sort of stuff. So whatever questions you have, please please contact us. Yeah, and what's working quite well is people are having discussions about the podcasts and 
posing their questions for us to answer on the episodes on the Slack. So if you want to help shape future episodes, that's a good way to do it as well. Yeah, that's a great thing. All right, Chris, it was nice to talk to you again. Yeah, it's very good to be back in the habit. We're sorry that this one's out a little bit late, but Easter got in the way and Carla's dongle adapters got in the way and various other things <laughs> i just i just got a new job and it means new laptop new everything so it's takes time to set all your tech up again and where is that job are you allowed to say yeah i'm allowed to say um i'm i'm, I'm working for google now so yeah it's mm, in- interesting yeah it's very very posh it's not a design design role it's more in the kind of um you know I would say service design or product design area is not going to be yeah. UXy as UXy, but you know a lot of um, new learnings and new things that I can share as well with we are listeners. Yeah, and lots of good people to interview as well. I imagine. Yeah, yeah, I can chase all these Googlers, very cool people, designers who work there. So I'll try and get as many as I can. All right, I think that is enough rambling for now. So we will see you next time, hopefully on our usual release date. So see you later. See you later.